back to Nazarani's in the city. I'm Josh Abraham. And I'm Abby Abraham. By the way, if anybody was wondering, we're not brothers. No. We are in a, in a certain type of sense, like a spiritual sense, but sure. that's about it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, man, here we are. What are, what are we talking about today? Uh, we are talking about our general story, I guess, how we got here, character development. What's funny is before when we were somewhat planning out this episode, I asked, let's talk about who you are. So I said, who is Josh? But then later I realized the error in that statement, which we'll get into, that your mm. story is not your identity. Mm, your story but, is not your identity. Yeah. So yeah, let's go forward with that. Where Where is your story, I guess, is the correct question. Yeah, yeah. Where, where are we at right now? Because it is, at the same time, it is good to see our life as a narrative, mm-hmm. right? I, I think about how our our lives are always kind of in attention and hopefully a reconciliation with what God wills right um, and I think it's good to to frame frame that uh, for 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 everybody to listen so like so what we're gonna do right now people just share what has happened in our walk with the Lord up until up until now right because right. there, there's a point where we're kind of taking our separate paths and there's a point where Abby and I cross paths, and uh, then we actually kind of get out of each other's lives for a second, and then we come back. Yeah, I mean, this podcast is really the fruit of what we're about to talk about, so. Yeah, yeah, so let's just, let's get into it. I, I'll start, let's see. Um, gotta look at my notes here. Um, I think, man, I've always, I started seeing the last year, I've always had uh, a fascination with the image of open hands, right? I think that's how the Lord really calls us to live, to live with open hands uh, in, in the sense that like not not to take control of our lives. You know, it's kind of a, like when I think of like me trying to take control of my life, which has been the biggest tension uh, in my walk with the Lord. Uh, it's always been this image of closing my grip on life, you know, and I feel like my whole story has been just this slow, slow, slow opening of the hands until, you know, now where it's like I'm trying my best to just live a, a hands, hands-off approach right. approach to life. So I think about that, that verse uh, from John the Baptist in the beginning of the, the Gospel of John. Uh, he must increase, I must decrease. And I feel, yeah, maybe just to really to really describe the last 22 years of my life, really the last five or six years of my life when I started to take my faith really seriously, it's been this continual process of just decreasing mm-hmm. and allowing the Lord to increase in my life. So let's, uh, where, where, where do I start? I always like to share my story about uh, uh, by starting with my parents. Shout out to Amma and Chacha because they, I mean, in, in essence, they really just led by example. I know there are a lot of, a lot of people out there who feel like they've just had the, the faith kind of shoved down their mm-hmm. throats, right? And my, my parents did that in, in a way, right? Like we still had to do, I, I think like the early, uh, like, like growing up, yeah. right? We had to do rosary, divine mercy, Bible reading. Uh, and those were not necessarily things I, I wanted to do. Um, and in that sense, like the faith was kind of impressed on me, but at the same time, my parents r- really lived out the faith by example. Um, 
and that that has always left uh, and continues to leave a lasting impression on me. I remember, I remember admitting to myself a while ago, if I could become anything like my dad, I'd be okay. That's right. a because that's a that's a saintly life, in my uh, in my opinion. So so yeah, like um, kind of growing up, really, my walk with the Lord. I didn't even recognize that at that at that point, right? But it's really just praying the rosary, going to Kurbana on Sundays. But really, going to Kurbana on Sundays was just an hour and a half of tuning out because mm-hmm. at that point, like, we didn't really have the English Kurbana. Amen. <laughs> and then just seeing my friends. Uh, that that's what Sundays were for, just to just to see the boys, you know. Right, yeah. Um, but then thing, things start to shift, kind of like in middle school and high school. My, that's when my parents started to send me on a lot of retreats, and I, I would have like these small encounters with the Lord, mm-hmm. right? Like, like this stirring of the heart, probably the best way to put it. And I think there was one retreat in particular that stands out above all the rest, because after this retreat, my life really did t- uh, take a, a turn. So, so I remember it was, um, I was in 10th grade. Uh, backstory behind that, I had a girlfriend in 10th grade, and she had just broken up uh, with me. Um, and we'll talk about yeah. That, that's a that's a similar wound I'll be and I share. <laughs> Breakups. Not the same girl. Not the same girl. <laughs> thanks be to God. Um, and we'll get into that later. But I had just broken up. Uh, she had just broken up with me, and I went on this retreat. It was a uh, it was the Shalom retreat. It was called Victory. It was supposed to be like a leadership retreat, and it was mm-hmm. in Dallas. And to be honest, I don't remember anything about this retreat except this one moment where. It was, it was Father Roy Palati, awesome, awesome much. Awesome, yeah. And there was an opportunity where uh, people could go to a counseling session with him, right, where he would just pray over you and then just speak whatever the Spirit was speaking to him, right? And I, I'm in line. I, I remember this so clearly. Like, I'm in line uh, just kind of waiting for my uh, counseling session with Father Palati, and I see someone come, come out of the room that they were in with Father Father Polity, and they're crying. They've, they've, they look like they got their whole life figured out and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like, just extreme joy. And I'm like, I'm getting hyped up, you know? I'm like, right. oh, my gosh. He's about to tell me my whole life. I'm ready to hear this, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I get closer and closer and closer. And finally, I'm in the door, right? It's just me and Father Roy. And he says, hello, what's your name? And I'm like, Josh. And he's like, okay, Josh, sit down. And then he, he just closes his eyes and he starts praying. He doesn't say anything for, like, three minutes. And I really... I really commend that. You know, he's really trying to listen to the Holy Spirit. And finally, he opens his eyes and he looks at me. He's like, Josh, I have nothing to say to you because you already know Jesus. Pretty anticlimactic. Straight up. (laughs) At the same time, it hit me like a ton of rocks, Uh right? Because he says, you already know Jesus. And I'm like, I really, (laughs) of course, right? Thanks, man. (laughs) Yeah, and it, it really hit me because it was at that point that he just pointed to a truth of my life that I had never never realized until that moment mm-hmm. that I, the Lord speaks to the heart, right? And I think one of the biggest graces I've been able to recognize about just like my story in general is that the Lord has given me the grace to have a sensitive heart yeah, and to be sensitive to the promptings of the Spirit. Um, I've always known that. Uh, I just never paid attention to it mm-hmm. until... Father Roy pointed it out, right? Mm-hmm. And I think after that moment, 
I just, I always made sure to pay attention to the heart because um, I knew like if everything else went wrong, that's where the Lord will speak. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess like in a, in a general sense, the interior life just became super, super important to me. I didn't have the words to describe it, mm-hmm. but I knew that like the way I felt in a way um, was very, was very important to uh, like how, how I'm supposed to interpret like where I am in life, uh, how my walk with the Lord is going. And I still carry that with me today, definitely. So after that retreat, needless to say, I started taking my relationship with the Lord a lot, a lot more seriously, right? And I think like, I'm, I mean, I'm back home in California. I'm finishing out, excuse me, 10th grade. And Father, Father Edward Broom comes into my life, right? So, so I would go to Ciro on Sundays. But when I wasn't, uh, and sometimes my mom would try to drag me to the local Latin parish uh, on Saturdays. And that's, uh, I can honestly say, and there's something else we have in common. I've received a lot of good things. I've received a lot of formation from, uh, from that Latin parish. Right. St. Peter Chanel Catholic Church in Hawaiian Gardens, California. They're great, great parish, awesome priests. They all belong to the, the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, beautiful religious order. And Father Ed was someone that became really important in my life because uh, he started to like kind of take notice with me and he started to walk with me. But not really a walk, though. It, it would be more like, like I knew he was a really good priest. Right. So I would go to confession with him, mm-hmm. get the confession over with, and then I would just ask a lot of questions about the faith. And within that sort of dialogue that we started having, like that, that became a huge part of like, um, like my own discovery of the faith. Would you say he was like an unofficial spiritual director of sorts? Straight up. I, I like to use the term pseudo-spiritual director. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and in those, it was, it was interesting. And this is something that I, I find very particular about my own faith life because I'm, I'm still pretty fresh to like, at this point, at end of 10th grade, I'm still, still pretty fresh to maturing in the faith, right? Mm. Like this is, I'm finally taking the faith life seriously. And almost as soon as that starts to happen, this idea of the priesthood starts to come up. Yeah. Almost literally at the same time. Uh, so, so I was in an interesting predicament at that point, just to give more context. I'm in the end of my 10th grade. I'm at a college prep high school, and they, Oxford Academy. And they put a lot of pressure on students, maybe unnecessary pressure on students, to, to figure their life out, right? Like, I'm in, I'm in 10th grade. What am I supposed to, how am I supposed to figure the next like forever out yeah. for me, right? But but I'm trying to figure my life out and whatnot. So I just start to make I start to make hasty decisions, right? So I decide I know enough about myself to think I wanted to be a doctor. No discernment. It's just like, yeah, that's what every other Indian kid who wants to help people does. So one of the primary vocations, right? <laughs> that's one of the primary vocations. Yes, that is right. We'll we'll get into that at another <laughs> podcast. Um but I was just like, yeah, I'm gonna become a doctor. You know, med school sounds great, whatever. But as I continue to grow in my faith, right, and especially as I start to notice the witness of Father Ed, not only to me during those conversations, but also to the whole parish, whenever he would say the Mass, his homilies, he's, he's a genius, by the way. Like, I started to take notice of him, and in doing all that, priesthood really started to become a more real idea to consider. And to be honest, by... 
I would say, yeah, by the middle of junior year, by the middle of junior year, I didn't even consider it. I chose it. And we'll see why that's a problem <laughs> later mm-hmm. on. But I think, like, to give that image again, I closed my grip mm-hmm. on the priesthood. You know, I was like, okay, this is what I, this is what I want to do. Um, because I kind of mentioned earlier, like, I just wanted to help people, right? That's kind of, yeah. I think that's kind of like the main driving force of, of understanding what I want to do with my life. And the seller was when, like, what really sold me was when Father Ed, uh, he told me one time in one of our conversations, you know, to help someone physically is good, but to help someone spiritually is a light year's difference. Yeah. The, that's that's verbatim right there, a light year's difference. That quote has still stuck with me, and I still think that's that's true. Yeah. Um, but I took that, I prayed with it, and it was clear that God was calling me to seminary. Mm-hmm. So by junior, by the yeah, like by the middle of junior year, I was set on going to Saint Joseph College Seminary in Chicago to study for the Sermonary Diocese. Um, like literally senior year, Saint Joe's was the only college I applied to. <laughs> uh, yeah. Kind of without risky. going into too much detail on it just yet, because we'll talk more about that later. But what what made you choose Sermonary at that moment? Mm, yeah, you know, to be honest, like at that point, as a junior, senior in high school, it wasn't really part of the discernment. I, it was a serious question. Like mm-hmm. at that point the discernment process was like, well I don't know Malayalam, so why am I why am I becoming a Sir Malabar priest, right? Mm. Um but there was just still like a conviction to move forward with that, right? And in fact I think it was the only tangible way I could move forward. Like as soon as I started to think about all this uh, this idea of priesthood, the yeah. first thing that comes in my way is to talk to Father Vinod, who was the right. vocation director right. at, at that time. And I just kinda ran with it. I right. didn't think about it. Um but yeah, yeah, that, that that that's a good question, and that's a question that we all still need to unpack. Like, why we yeah, made that decision, thing, right? right. Um, but yeah, so we're I'm gonna keep sharing until Abbey enters seminary because yeah. that's where we cross paths. Uh, but long story short, I mean, my first so I so I graduated high school in tw- uh, 2016 May, and then that fall I entered seminary, and that those first two years of seminary was game game changer, life changing enlightening, all of the above, right? And it's funny to say, but in a lot of ways, I feel like my faith started in seminary. Even though that's not really the case, but in, it, it's, 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 there's still a truth to that. And I think in, in those first two years, the Lord just started to speak in a lot of ways to me um, through like regular like prayer uh, in my schedule. Uh, I went to Haiti after my first year of seminary through Jesus Youth, and that was a big, big moment for me in learning how to let go of my life. I think it was actually in Haiti, you know, like, I came into seminary with closed hands. In Haiti, that was the first time I started to loosen my grip on life. Mm. And then maybe to characterize a second year of seminary, I just really started to recognize, that's where all the wounds started to come up, you know? Like, we have all these, yeah. all this brokenness that we don't want to admit, and I definitely didn't want to admit it, but it's just, all these things started to come up in my own prayer, like how broken I was, how broken I am. Started to recognize my own sinfulness that second year. Um, but I always like to say it this way: in the context of love, I was able to accept my brokenness because I knew it was the Lord wanting to heal me, right? So through a lot of spiritual direction, a lot of good conversations with close friends at that point, uh, just a lot of healing happened that that second year. And uh, and I'll end my short of spiel 
by saying by the end of sophomore year, I was more attracted than ever before about being a priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, but yeah, and then that, the year after that, my junior year, Ubi comes into seminary. Yeah. But first we got to talk about how you got there. How did I get there? Yeah. Thank you, first of all. There's actually a lot in there that we haven't talked about. I, I thought we kind of covered everything in that area, but yeah, so Funny how that happens, glad to yeah. hear that happen. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess background-wise, pretty much same as everyone else in terms of growing up with fervent Cyril Malabara parents. Mm. And I, But at the same time, I can honestly say that my parents are very genuine Cyril Malabar Catholics. Because not to yeah. bash on anyone, but there are a lot of parents that it's more of a cultural thing or it's more of you know something they do for the community. Sure. But I can honestly say that my parents genuinely care about their faith primarily. Mm. And that itself is a blessing I didn't appreciate, you know, and basically until now. And I think it was really different for us. I guess one area that's super different, especially being from San Francisco, was a relatively new community. So I have two older brothers. One is 10 years older and one is six years older. And they almost didn't have much of a community to grow up with, especially my oldest brother, pretty much nothing. We we, we had like no parish back then um, when he was growing up and coming of age. And didn't really think about that much. Mo- most of the time we would go to the Latin parish as we were, as we were growing up. And same as you, just like family prayer every night. That was more of a chore than it was anything else. Um, but I was like six, eight at the time. You know, it didn't really make a difference to me. I was kind of just like, oh, yeah, my family's doing it. I'll hop in, right? Nice, right. Um, but what really started to kind of make me start thinking about just life in general more was my oldest brother went off to college, and the first time we visited him, kind of realized, like, I don't know if he's going to church anymore. Mm-hmm. And this ha- this started kind of becoming this trend with seeing uh, older, like, Chattans and Chachis in the communities. Uh, they're not going to church anymore. They're not, you know, doing this anymore. And I was, like, really shook because I was like, what is this? Like, I thought this was just, like, a, a part of life, like, brushing your teeth. Right, right, right. And... So that started really like making me question things and not in a very intellectually <laughs> way, but like just as an eight-year-old, 10-year-old and growing through elementary, middle school, all these things, I was just like, why is every Jadon and JG I know like leaving the church? And the, 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 just a comment there, not that it has much to do with your story, but it's an interesting, sad reality that, yeah. that has happened. They, they call it the lost generation. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, it's crazy. Crazy that happened. Yeah, and... Again, no, no fault of their character. No, right. it's it's nothing. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say nothing. Obviously, they're individuals, but it's it was just how it was, right? And and I think that was something that really deeply affected the way I started thinking about things because I just kind of started thinking they know what they're doing. Parents and uh, older people in the community, old fashioned, and especially seeing like. I would argue, I mean, it's controversial, but I would argue a majority of people that it's truly just a cultural thing. Hmm. And so I started kind of, that started coming into my head of all these things. I was like, man, I'm really just wasting a lot of time on Sunday going to this cultural thing that really isn't my culture, right? That was the kind of thing at the time was, look, 
you know, basically every other hour of this week, besides these like two, three hours I'm here, the culture I'm in is completely different. Would you, uh, would you say this is the, uh, the beginning of your skepticism? Oh yeah. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I, I think until that point, it was just going with the flow. And I think there's a lot of people who kind of feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Unfortunately, I feel like they're shut down a lot of the time for feeling that way. Yeah. But it wasn't like a conscious choice of like, screw the church. It was more right. of just like, there's obviously something off here. And, you know, as that kind of kept going, you know, I would stick with the church for a bit and, you know, still kept going to CCD and all of these things. Um, but that skepticism got stronger and stronger and there was never any answer to the questions I had. Um, again, not not the fault of any individual person or groups of people. It was just the way things were at the time. And especially once I got to, uh, you know, past, so like my middle school years and, and early high school years, it was just a bunch of stupidity, like hooligan stuff that I was, because I just, I just didn't care, you know. I was really living this life of let me just find out what works for me. I'll be a so-called good person, but I'm going to just do what works for me, whether it's pleasure, fun, sports, popularity, all of these things that we find as like the subconscious signs of virtue. Mm-hmm. Just started going after that. And again, like to stress, I, I didn't have some sort of like radical, like, oh, I was addicted to all of these drugs. and Because, you know, again, people have those stories, but I think oftentimes that can be put up as the only story. And then a lot of people are like, look, I'm not that bad. Right. right, right, right and like, that's, that's kind of what I'd say for me. It was like, look, I was a normal kid by all means. I was just very skeptical and just kind of went with the flow in, n- in daily life with all my secular friends and all of these things. So these things that we would look at and be like, ah, he's fine. Like he's still going to church. Right. And like yeah. all of these things, but basically by, I don't know, probably sophomore year, I did stop going to CCD because we actually moved about an hour away from the church. And that gave me a really good excuse not to go because I was like, oh, I have practice or, you know, I have a lot to study today, you know, and it'll just take it'll because it's like a four hour trip. Right. Because, right, right. um, you know, it's it's driving an hour to church, spending that much time there and then driving back. And I was just like, no, I, I have other things to do. And my parents were against it. But at the same time, it was hard for them to like really convinced me at that point and because they're you know pressure is there but they're just not very forceful people which I'm very thankful for and um so at that point I stopped going and then it's just slippery slope from there because it was like pretty much barely any church once in a while I'd go to the Latin parish more out of guilt than anything else um and yeah we'll we'll go on more on that later because like now I see it as like there was still the voice of the Lord kind of pulling me towards something gently. Mm-hmm. And um, so kind of going down that path, uh, eventually I was in a relationship and went through a breakup, I think, toward, yeah, beginning of my junior year. So at that point, we'd actually moved back to where we were from. So basically from Mountain House to Fremont. And a different school and everything, so it was a whole new community. So I'm in my junior year of high school at a brand new school. Oof. Yeah, and um, normally that wouldn't be a problem for me. I'd moved a bunch in my life, and I, I like easily associate with people and everything. But at that point, I kind of made the conscious choice to ignore people because mm. I was just like in this super stoic mode of like, 
So it, it'd be like lunch break or something, and I'd walk around pretending like I was looking for somebody so that people wouldn't try and introduce themselves yeah. like to the new kid. Yeah, the walls um, are the walls are put up. Right. And um, all of these things. And then I got to this point where I was just like, man, I really don't know what's going on. Like, I don't know how to make sense of this. Mm. Like, with what I've been taught in my family life, I don't know how to make sense of this with what I've learned about relationship and going forward in the future and friendships and all these things. But I also don't know how to make sense of it from the secular sense of like whatever it is, right? Like just move on or like find other friends, get with another girl, whatever it is. I didn't know how to fit it into either side of what I was told up to that point in my life. Mm. And that's where just one day I was at uh, Nithin Jen's house um, and he's a cl- close family friend of ours. And we just like went on this walk and somehow or another it came up like this almost inadvertent challenge of like pursuing truth for truth rather than fitting it into my own narrative. Mm. And man, like I, I really took that pretty hard because it was almost like a not offended by him, but it was almost like I put up this defense in myself of like, you're saying I don't pursue truth. What are you talking about? <laughs> right? Like I only pursue truth. Right. But literally it took me less than 24 hours to go home and be like, oh, yeah, no, no, I don't. <laughs> right. And um, so that that was a life changing, subtle challenge for me. And since then, I, I, I went home trying to really appease my confirmation bias in, you know, looking through. I would read like Christopher Hitchens. I would read like Buddhist scripts, Muslim scripts and all of these things. And like all of these things that, because in school we're taught that all religions are equal, all philosophy is equal, and all of these things. So I would just kind of look through and be like, oh, I mean, what what makes the way I was brought up any different, right? Mm-hmm. And as I was reading through these things, I would try to kind of affirm affirm that. So re- reading Hitchens, for example, reading like atheist philosophers or watching their videos, I would try to agree with their points. But then I would be like, honestly, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Hmm. And especially once I came upon any apologists worth their money, like, you know, Bishop Barron or, I mean, Edward Fazer, like the Trent Horn types, like I would just, I would try to listen to their arguments and try to debunk them, but I couldn't. Hmm. You know, like Bishop, just especially Bishop Barron, he's not even a traditional apologist. It, it was more of just like analyzing the culture, which is exactly what I needed at the time. Because like I was saying, I just didn't know how to go forward with my life. Not so much as even like, oh, I started questioning all my beliefs. It was more of like, I really don't know what to do next. Hmm. And I think Bishop Barron was really key in that area because he talks about so many different aspects of the culture and where our faith plays into that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just want to comment, like, one, it sounds like this sort of, uh, th- this part of your life is kind of like your your intellectual. Yeah, journey, right? yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, like, I, I think it, I also kind of had, a, like, not as, maybe, it's safe to say, not as intensive an intellectual journey sure. as you did, but Bishop Barron also really, yeah. really helped me kind of put words to, to, to what I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, mutual intellectual father, in a sense. And, 100%. um, yeah, so I just, I kept going down this path of like, okay, he's right about this, but let me see his next video. He probably, he's probably missing something there. There's no way Catholicism connects to this, right? Or 
And, and I would just keep trying to do that to where I started asking myself, man, I'm really like, again, not praising myself, but I was like, man, my confirmation bias is trying to look for one thing, but something else is coming up and I'm able to accept that. Looking back, like at the moment, I was, you know, just like, oh, this is the way it is. But now in today's culture, I'm seeing like actually how difficult that is to do on your own. So looking back, I couldn't have done that without the Holy Spirit guiding me through that because it's so hard to fight confirmation bias because you don't even oftentimes know it's there. So that itself was just like, I don't know. I don't know where that was, right? Because I, back then I tried to tell myself, well, I'm just this intellectual giant that takes arguments for how they are. But no, like we don't do that naturally as humans, right? In our imperfection, as good as an argument is, if it doesn't fit the narrative we have, we'll reject it yeah. most of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunate, but it's oftentimes the way it is. So the fact that I was able to do that, I'm super thankful for because it led to everything after. Mm-hmm. And so eventually going down that path, I finally did accept Catholicism as as truth, even though I, I didn't fully understand everything and I what my heart wasn't fully there or anything, which I'll get to later. But I accepted it and kind of developed that more and more and more and eventually kind of came to the same place of like the next step for me is I need to see how do I fully devote my life to this. Mm. And the most obvious thing in front of me was priesthood and seminary. So it wasn't even necessarily like I want to be a priest but it was more, I want to dedicate my life to this newfound truth. How can I do that? Mm-hmm. And and again, priesthood was just the most obvious thing in front of me. Yeah, because in a very literal way, the priesthood is a, a full exactly, devotion yeah. to the church right. and, and to God. Right. right. And I think, yeah, for both of us, it was hard to see it any other way. Yeah. So I think it was right in on the surface, but there was a sort of, hidden um, incompleteness to that, that that like, at least for me, there was almost this idea that that was the only full way I could. Yeah. Right. And so, so I kind of went with that, but there was definitely, um, I I hadn't solidly decided, like, I want to be a priest uh, and which I'm, to my understanding is kind of where you were at. Oh yeah. Yeah. Junior year. It wasn't the Lord calling me. It was, uh, it was me making the decision. I'm, I'm going to become a priest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I guess that's where there's a little difference in that I, I was more of just like, I need to go check this out, right? So I can right. at least check it off the list that I did it. Right, right. And, and it's interesting that like that that's how you were thinking things because it was always like kind of going back to that that initial uh, point between you and, uh, and Nathan Chet and just wanting to arrive at the truth of things. Yeah, yeah. And how even the decision to enter seminary was still part of that process. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And just going from there, there was so many things. That, okay, and I finally came to this point of filling out my application, you know, doing the come and see and all of these things. Yep. Um, but for months after I filled out my application and talked to Paulchen and all of these things, I didn't submit it until like the last day. I don't even remember when it was, but it was like literally the day before the deadline because I was like, uh, I don't know what's going on. I felt like I was like uh, all that time I was like able to kind of just stay focused on everything. And like towards the the end of my senior year, I felt like I like fell in love with this girl. And I was like, wait, come on, what's (laughs) happening right now? Right. Right. 
and it was it was tough because it was like there was nothing lustful there, there was nothing that was like uh, like nothing of my past self in a, in a sense mm-hmm. that it was such a good desire, mm. such a good girl, and like all of these things that made it so much more confusing. Because if it was just like my past like lust or, or like some crazy desire to not be alone or any of this right like that we all go through at some point i could easily reject that not easily but i would be able to reject that and be like this is clearly not from the lord right right but it was two goods but it was two goods and i was like right now come on jesus like come on right now why and going forward from there i was so confused but finally came to this conviction that like what it, it, it wasn't so much a chronological ordering, but it was almost like what came first. Mm-hmm. So as chronological as that sounds, I don't know if that does justice to what it really was. It was the desire for seminary and the priesthood was put there for a reason. Yeah, and you paid attention to that. Yeah, and and I, I stuck to that, and I, I kind of just really, up until that point, the same way I was trying, tried to take it as logically as possible. Right. And I was just like, I'm going to go to seminary. Right, like this is something that I was going to do. This girl doesn't change that, and nothing changes. And like, let the Lord take care of it, right? And honestly, the most abandonment I had until that point, and for a while after that, <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, after that point, I almost stopped abandoning. Right, it was like cl- sure. closing your hands, like I was saying, right, or like you were saying, and but. I'm super glad I made that decision. Yeah. <laughs> right. So going into seminary, you know, so many game changers. Right. Like you were saying. Right? Maybe, maybe just to, for, for sake of context. Yeah. Now we're both in the same seminary. Right. Right. And yeah, this so is we, where we meet. So Josh is two years ahead of me. I'm joining in as a freshman. We meet and being four several seminarians in there at the time, we kind of all associated with each other and, yeah, yeah. I think in particular to, to our relationship, I mean, I can honestly not remember not being a close friend. To yeah. Me. Like, it was just right. immediate. Right, yeah. I think we just kind of just clicked on, yeah. on different things. And I think it has a lot to do with just our in I guess, with the heart. Mm. Yeah. I, I think that kind of just clicked for, for both of us. And, man, so many game changers. But I, I think the biggest thing, and then we can kind of go off into our relationship and where that where that took us, but sure. the biggest thing was just seminary was like this slap in the face of through all my intellectual formation, whatever that was, I had gotten to this point where I'd left Jesus knocking on the door of my heart. Dang, that's an image right there. And... I just just left him out there. Not rejected it, not anything like that, but it was just like, hey, wait, let me try to figure this stuff out first. Mm. Right? And on your own. On, on my own. Right. And just I hadn't realized how wrong that was. Because on the surface, it wasn't, again, it wasn't a rejection of sorts. It was like making him wait. Making him wait to like enter my heart. And our mutual spiritual father and father matt was someone that really helped me realize this right because I, I would go into prayer with these planned out formats of like okay first i need to ask first i need to say thanks and then i need to do this and then i'll go through my rosary and then i'll go through asking him what's next and this is the context of your prayer right this is in in my prayer right yeah and i was like wait a second 
Nothing's happening. I can't figure this out through reading something. There's no saint that has my specific story. Right. Right. There, and I was like, oh, this isn't good. There's like, no blueprint for right, this. Right. There's no blueprint. Exactly. Right. And because up until that point, there almost was a blueprint. Right. I'd learned, I'd read tons of discernment books. I'd read yeah. like tons about, you know, the faith and the priesthood and seminary and all of these things. And I was like, OK, yeah, I can do this because I had this cookie cutter approach to it. Right. But after that, I couldn't have a cookie cutter approach because my story was different. My desires were different, and I, I didn't know how to handle that. So Father Matt comes in as this super goofy young priest, yet one of the smartest men I've ever met, and immediately catches my attention in his simplicity, right? Just this man that's purely desiring to be a son. There's a... A certain freedom yeah. that Father Matt exhibits Absolutely. that I had never seen before. Absolutely. Until I met him, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think that's that's it, right? It wasn't because he had all of the staples that we would say of formation, right? Like consistent prayer, right. intellectual formation, but that's not what caught our eye, no, right? No. And and I think that was something that was like, okay, I don't know where how to take that, and the fact that he was a young younger priest. Right, so it was like easier to identify with. Right? He's only at that point. He was only a priest for like three years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was that first retreat we had. Literally, I think the week of, um, like starting seminary. The, oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Right. And that first week, I literally was so distressed because that was like at that point the freshman had already been there for a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. so we'd gotten some exposure to seminary and started praying and all of these things, and nothing was going on and i was like man maybe this was the wrong decision as in like your own heart you're not right. feeling like confirmation right. consolation my expectation anything. was just like yeah i'm gonna come to seminary and this, yeah clarity all the way man right. <laughs> but that was not the case no absolutely not i was like more confused than ever so at this retreat we had the opportunity we were split into those different groups right with the uh, four different formators yep. yep and i ended up with father matt not coincidentally now right and, providence and exactly and so I was able to have like just this one-on-one time with him where I straight up told him like, I feel like Jesus has stopped speaking to me. And like, I didn't know what it was, but I was just like, I I don't hear him anymore. Hmm. I don't know what to do next. Everything I'm reading is kind of like just reiterating the same points. My prayer, I'm not really sure where it's going and all of these things. And he told me he he just told me to in my prayer just be quiet for once right and like i was a little disappointed it's almost like with father roy right that's that's sort of like a very simple response yeah. but it was something powerful and but I, I was like i didn't know what to do so i finally just started praying in silence so at, at this point like up until this point your prayer was noisy. Oh, it yeah. It was you, 90% Ubi, yeah. 10% the Lord. Yeah. And even in the, like, 10% or whatever, like, trying to hear the Lord, it was trying to hear him through, like, little messengers. Sure. Right? Whether it be through, like, the readings of the saints, through certain prayers, through certain reflections, discernment books, and all of these things. Yeah. But it wasn't really trying to just hear his voice. It's that confirmation bias you're yeah, talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And we've talked about this, right? Of, like, Ch- double checking our story with, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. with the story of another saint or something like that like and there's a, there's a difference between 
um, like the authenticity of the sign. Like it's a, there's a difference between like the Lord giving you confirmation, yeah, and you making up the confirmation, right, right. Yeah. And man, like I, it's such a subtle difference, but so important, right? And I think I just kind of kept fighting that, right? And and eventually, in those like periods that I I finally started dedicating to silence like hours a day. We had the blessing of having a chapel in the seminary. Beautiful chapel, by the way. Beautiful chapel. And I made the very conscious choice while I was in seminary, which many people may disagree with, but it's something I needed at the time. But I I told myself I'm not going to make any friends outside of seminary, at least for this first semester. Sure. Right? And again, not something I'd recommend to everybody, but it's something that I needed at the time was just I was – had so much noise from before, so many friends and all of these things from before that when I was in seminary, I was just like, look, I'm just going to have formation with my brothers, fellowship with my brothers, and then study and prayer. That's it. And um, that so hours in the chapel with nothing. Right? I tried giving silence. I tried doing this. Nothing. I might use the image open hands. Open hands. Right? Trying to, at least. Yeah. Trying to. Exactly, right? It was like, uh, look, I'm 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 doing everything that I possibly could do, right? And I'm I'm listening to Father Matt. I'm being quiet. Still nothing for a long time, hmm. right? But eventually, but the key, the key is eventually, right? I did start getting more of peace, more of that peace of like just stay where you are. Right, just just stay with me for a bit. Sit with me for a bit, and that wasn't any direction, right? It wasn't like this is what you need to do, or or this is this is what I want you to do right now. It was just like just stay with me. But even that, like the consolation from that, was enough to keep me in that spirit, right? And it was kind of this ode to He gives you what you need at the time. Yeah. Right, because if he had told me anything more at the time about where, what my direction with seminary is, or what type of prayer I needed to, you know, be doing, or what I needed to read, or whatever, right, it would have not been good for me, as and convenient as it would have been. I, I think we can characterize this sort of transition where before your your prayer, the priority of your prayer is figuring it out. Oh yeah. And now it's transitioning into actual relationship. Absolutely. It's just being with the Lord. Absolutely. Just just being with him, right? And I think from there, slowly, slowly more things started clicking in, whether it be through Fulton Sheen, my relationship with Mother Mary, like this super wounded relationship I had with mothers and and women in general from before and not understanding Mother Mary. Until that point, I was kind of just like, okay, cool. Like, Mother Mary, great. Like, right. Right, mother of God, no biggie, you know, that kind of thing. But after, so it was the world's first love, one of my best books ever. He says that every book. Every every book I read, Josh asked me, how's it going? I'll say best book I've ever read. Yeah. Um, But that one was the first best Mm -hmm. book I've ever read. So um, total game changer because it essentially put Mother Mary in all the ways that we can really receive her the spousal way the motherly way as a friend as a comforter and all of these different aspects that i had never known and 
I think at a man at that point in my life, that was one of the most crucial shifts to just really accept in humility my this relationship with Mother Mary and how she was leading me in relationship with her son. Hmm. And specifically, there's just one image in the in the chapel of Our Lady of Grace in the far left, far left corner yeah, that yeah, yeah. just always felt like we, I, I always felt like it was speaking to me, something I would have laughed at like just a year before that if somebody said like there was just a stained glass window speaking to you really right, right, right. right and like so that just kind of kept kept developing and then we like our relationship kept developing right we would talk about these things too right like where our heart was mm. little aches of our heart that was always kind of like the to put it this way it was the heart of our conversations yeah <laughs> It was always just expressing our hearts to each other. Yeah. yeah. It was really, it's so many memories are just flooding back right now. That yeah. room, that spiritual direction room. Absolutely. Where we would, it was, it, we, we had a really good example of like just good, authentic, like uh, fraternal correction. Cause we would oh, listen yeah. to each other's hearts and then we would point out like, hey, like, wh- wh- yeah. what's this? What's this? We would the, call red it the, flags, the red right? flag. Yeah yeah. 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 Like this, this doesn't add up. Like this doesn't make sense. Like yeah. wh- where's this coming from? And uh-huh. it's beautiful. Yeah, and, and as we, you know, kind of the theme of this podcast too, right, it kind of came out, kind of grew in this way of every time we would talk, we would look back at what we told each other and be like, hold up, I don't think I, like, knew that. I don't <laughs> think I knew the advice that I was giving you. Right, right, right. I think and there was a third person in right, this conversation. Right, exactly. And, like, that was a sort of relieving and beautiful sign for us of just the Holy Spirit working in our lives, especially mm. with each other. And I think from there, continually developed this relationship and almost every conversation followed that same pattern. Straight up. Right? There was never a conversation that I felt like I left, like, eh. Right? It, it, was, it was like every conversation, there was always a sort of peace that came from it, which was... A gift in itself right and i guess that's kind of how we ended up here right is where how do we bring that to others right and yeah dang should we keep going should we get to like where we are now or do you think this is a good good place to stop i think for for this one yeah for this episode maybe we'll get we can stop here yeah kind of recollect on on how did we specifically get from seminary to here? That's a story in itself, even if it's a shorter one. That's facts. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, this was this was beautiful. Once again, a sharing of hearts. Mm-hmm. Honestly, that could be like the other name for our podcast, just just sharing hearts. Sure. Man. Well, thanks for your story. Thanks for Thank your vulnerability. You. Vulnerability will be a key part of this podcast. I feel like we were talking about this. Like th- that's a certain gift the Lord has granted us. Just right. The the the, the grace to to really give ourselves people to put our hearts on the line and just let people see it for what it is Mm -hmm. so yeah we hope uh, yeah we hope this was something for you a blessing Um, we'll see you next time I guess Mm -hmm. yeah praise be Jesus Christ always and forever